Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today I wish to talk about doubt. Doubt has a way of leaving you locked up, like you're in your own prison cell. Leaving you feeling isolated and alone. Just being transparent, as a pastor, it's really an occupational hazard, honestly. It's like being an ice cream man who's lactose intolerant, right? I'm thankful that God has given to me a firm faith that trusts in him, that trusts in his word. But that doesn't mean that even pastors don't have questions and challenges at times. And even though now I'm at a place of a a firm, trusting faith in the Lord, that wasn't always the case. I think back to when I was a young man. And, you know, I had been brought up around the church. And so for me, in many ways, I just kind of took faith for granted. It was just there, right? It was just something that was in the background, but I hadn't thought about so much. But I remember having this conversation with a friend of mine who really started needling me one day. I can't even remember what the context of it was, but she just really started going after me, especially about questions of of science and creation and so forth. And I'll never forget the particular thing, the particular point that she made that for some reason really set me aback. And I kind of laugh at it now, but at the time it was really serious. She said, you know what, Ryan, the only thing that separates us humans from other animals is the fact that we have opposable thumbs. That's it. And I was like, is that true? that's it? And in that moment, it was like a serious faith crisis, the opposable thumb crisis. I worked through it, okay? There's a whole class in seminary about opposable thumbs, what to do about that, how to make sense of it. No. We all have those things, though, that we have gone through. And for me, I I went through that season and other seasons at times where where I had serious questions and wondering about God, wondering about faith. And so I've, I've come to this point where I recognize that faith should not be taken for granted, right? It should not be taken for granted. It's a gift of God. But neither does it need to be treated as though it were just some fragile, precious heirloom that as soon as it were tested or tried, it would just shatter just like that. No, in fact, faith grows stronger through testing. Faith can even grow stronger through doubt. That's part of what I want to talk about today. And it's also why I think it's so unfortunate that for many Christians, in many churches, doubt something you just don't talk about. You just act instead as though it were not there. A guy named David Kinneman, he's a researcher for the Barna Group, and he wrote a book a few years ago on some of his research. The book was entitled, You Lost Me. And he was especially trying to find out why is it that so many young adults, he aged at 18 to 29, why have so many of them fallen away from the church if not fallen away from their faith altogether? One of the big takeaways from that book is that these young believers or former believers didn't feel like their church was a place where they could ask hard questions, where they could raise doubts when they had them. 50% said that they didn't believe that their church was a place where they were allowed to ask questions. And a full 10% said that when they asked questions or when they raised a doubt, they felt like their salvation was called into question. And so what happens? What happens is that that doubt just goes underground, right? It's not as though it goes away, but instead it just hides until another more opportune time when it can be even more destructive. And many of these folks end up walking away from the faith. It's not just young people, of course. 
but especially young people. The reality is, is that within the body of Christ, within the body of believers, we aren't all at the same place in faith, right? God doesn't call us and create us to be robots and program us all with the exact same degree of belief. Instead, you and I were pilgrims on the journey of faith, and we're at different places along the way. For some of you, faith is as certain and sure as gravity, maybe more so. Your faith has been tested and tried, and you cling to Jesus for dear life every single day. For others of you, you have known and gone through different moments and seasons of doubt. It's like having a cold. By the way, I apologize for my voice. I promise you, I'm through it, but my voice is always the last thing. So thank you, Lewis, for the water. <clears throat> for others of you, uh, doubt can be like a cold, and you manage it. It's just sort of hanging around, but then it goes away. But for still others of you, it's a chronic ailment. It's something that you just struggle with and deal with your whole life long. You pray, God, take this away from me. I believe. Help my unbelief. My point is that within the body of Christ, within our congregation, not everybody is at the same place. We're all pilgrims following our Lord, but not everyone is at exactly the same spot. And it's important for us to remember that. Because doubt has a way of leaving you locked up and feeling isolated and alone. Just ask John the Baptist. So when we find John the Baptist in today's gospel, he's literally locked up, isolated and alone. And frankly, that's a big part of his problem, his spiritual problem. See, the evidence for Jesus as the Messiah is not matching up with his expectations about Jesus as the Messiah. And just in last week's gospel, we heard about some of those expectations, right? John came preaching and saying, one is, come, one is coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, right? He will come and he is going to bring the thunder of God's judgment. He's going to level the ax to the tree. John had this expectation and this vision of the Messiah that when he comes, he will come in power and he will come in haste and he is going to wipe out all of God's enemies and fix this world right now. And now John is finding himself having a hard time reconciling what he's seeing with that word he had been proclaiming, with the prophecies he believed. The puzzle pieces aren't quite matching up. And so, yeah, he doubts. And I find it instructive that through the history of the church, there have been Christians who have said, no, 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 no. John's not really doubting here. He, he's just trying to you know, teach something to his own disciples. I think that really just makes the point further that we have a hard time talking about doubt within the church. Make no mistake, John is really wondering. He's not unbelieving. But he is doubting as he seeks to trust in Jesus as the Messiah. And so he, he sends his disciples to ask this question. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we expect another? Is it you, Jesus? Are you the guy? Or should we be looking for others? And Jesus' response is emphatically enigmatic. <laughs> it's emphatically enigmatic, as is his want, right? On the one hand, it's emphatic because Jesus says, listen, go and tell John what you see and hear. The lame now walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, even the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. 
Jesus tells them, look around you and see all the ways in which those promises and prophecies, not least the, the word from Isaiah that we read a moment ago, see how those words are being fulfilled now, how the kingdom already is coming. The creation is being renewed right here, right before you. Yes, John, I am the guy. I am the one who is to come. I am the Messiah. Your hope and your expectation is not ill-founded. And yet at the same time, there is an unfulfilled side of this fulfillment. See, because not all of the blind were made to see, not all of the deaf made to hear, and perhaps most to the point for John, not all those locked up in prison were set free. And so while, yes, he is the one who is to come, his kingdom has come, it maybe doesn't look exactly like you expect. And that's why that last kind of postscript that Jesus offers is all important and supremely significant. Jesus goes on to say, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is the key to set us free from that prison house of doubt. How so? Because when Jesus says this word, blessed are those who are not offended by me, he doesn't allow doubt to continue to languish in the darkness, but instead he brings it to light. And he doesn't celebrate doubt, as some people do nowadays, and say, oh yes, you should be skeptical, you should be questioning. He doesn't celebrate doubt, but neither does he scold John for his doubt. Instead, he offers a, a kind of gentle admonition. It's an admonition because he says, the one who is not offended by me, who is not scandalized by me. Jesus knows that because his expectations are not matching up with the evidence, with what he's seeing, that John, as for any of us, can be led to question and to wondering, are you really there, God? Do you really care about me? And if you do, why are you letting me go to this place? And so Jesus is giving this admonition and saying, listen, don't allow those doubts to allow yourself to lose sight of me, to lose hold of me. It's an admonition, but it's a gentle admonition because he says, blessed are you. Do you hear that echo with the Beatitudes? When Jesus had said earlier, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you who are not offended by me. Jesus sees John wobbly and weak need and says, listen, John, even in your weak faith, you're blessed. I am for you. The smoldering wick I will not snuff out. But indeed, I say to those who are wobbly and weak need, fear not, you are blessed. To hear this word from our Lord is the key to be free from the prison house of doubt, to know that he calls us out of it but also that he meets us there and still gives to you and me his word of life. And then he puts us on the path to true spiritual maturity, to a mature faith. And see how that is. See, we think that as a Christian, I shouldn't have any doubts and I should be avoiding any time. Anytime any kind of questions come up or something I'm wondering about, I say, no, 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 hear no evil, see no evil. Just pretend as, as though it's not there, right? But it is a naive, immature faith that avoids doubt. 
It's a naive faith that avoids doubt and says, nope, just not going to talk about it, not going to think about it, going to act like it's not there, that I don't really have those questions. That's a naive, immature faith. And as I alluded to before, to do that is just setting yourself up for an even more greater failure down the road. Because those questions aren't going to go away, but instead they're going to come back up at the worst time and drive you away, perhaps, altogether. See, that naive faith that avoids doubt just puts you in a much more fragile position. But see, a mature faith doesn't avoid doubt, but absorbs doubt. What I mean by that is, it doesn't try to run away from it, but instead, in prayerful submission to the Father, it brings those things before God. And says, Lord, I'm struggling. I'm wondering. I'm questioning. He can take it, see. His own son called out to him from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He can hear the concerns and the questions, the doubts that you might have. He's able to receive it. And so that mature faith absorbs doubts and instead takes them and allows them to be an opportunity to grow deeper in faith, to bring them before the Father, not to avoid them, not to pretend as though they don't exist, but instead to bring them before God and to bring them before one another as a chance to, to, yes, to poke and to prod our faith and say, what do we believe about this? To ask those hard questions and to allow those to be a springboard for reaching and ascending even higher in the life of faith. That's where the Lord would call you and me to. And you know what? To have that kind of posture gives you a more robust, even an anti-fragile faith because you aren't broken by doubts, but instead you grow even stronger through them. And to have that posture and that perspective gives you both a, a present comfort and a future hope. It gives you that present comfort because now in the midst of those doubts, in the midst of those struggles, when you're looking at the world and it doesn't match up with your expectations, with what you would hope that God would, would do for you and do for his world, instead he says, now, listen, child, look to me. Look to the, the manger. Look to the cross. Cling to the revealed God, Luther says. Flee to the altar. There your hope is anchored in me. There, as you cling to him, as you hold fast to him, you have that present comfort. But you also have a future hope. Because even if right now all is not made right, even if right now every question is not answered, a day is coming and it could be today when Christ will come again. And when he does, he will renew this creation in full. His kingdom will come in full on that day. Every question will be answered. Every doubt dispelled and sorrow and sighing will flee away on that day. Our very eyes shall see him through his own redeeming love. But until that day, until that day, doubts may not go away. And so you need a company of pilgrims. That's what we have in the church, friends. And that's my encouragement for all of us to be the kind of community where as we are striving to live by faith, we can bring up those tough questions. We can even raise our doubts. Listen, you don't have to be a voice alone crying in the wilderness. That job's been filled already, right? John the Baptist took care of that. But instead... You are part of the the fellowship, the company of pilgrims 
as we go side by side, following our Lord Jesus, encouraging one another, supporting each other in those times of doubt, in those times of trial, spurring each other on to continue to follow Jesus. Listen, doubt has a way of leaving you locked up, isolated and alone. But Christ Jesus, he holds the key that sets you free. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He calls you and me out of that prison house of doubt into the clear light of his patient love. And he summons us forth to join the company of pilgrims. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for the offertory.